Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Look, Kate, he's only films to be parried with. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried with. My name is Brett Goldstein. I'm a comedian, an actor, a writer, a director, an L joint, and I love films. As Amit Kalantri once said, your actions speak so loudly, you need not say anything else. But do let me know if you enjoyed Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, because I think that also speaks highly of your character. Yeah, I'd agree with that, actually. Pretty lame to be too cool for Mamma Mia too. Nice one, Amit. Every week, I invite a special guest over. I tell them they've died, then I get them to discuss their life through the films that meant the most to them. Previous guests include Sharon Stone, James Acaster, Kevin Smith, and even Yet Uambles. But this week, it's the brilliant producer, writer, and director, Mr. Neil Marshall. Get over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein, where you'll get an extra 15 minutes with Neil. We chat about openings and closings. He tells a secret. It's a pretty good one, actually, that secret. You get all of that, and you also get the whole episode uncut and ad-free and as a video. Check it out over at patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein. Your two TV missions, if you've not seen them already, are to watch season one of Ted Lasso on the Apple TV Plus app and season one of Soulmates on Amazon Prime. One will make you happy, the other will make you question your partner. So, Neil Marshall. Neil Marshall is a writer, director, producer who's made some extraordinary films like Dog Soldiers and The Descent and also directed killer episodes of Game of Thrones, amongst many other things. We recorded this over Zoom a few weeks ago. He was brilliant. He fully indulged me in chat about The Descent, which I think is one of the great horrors. So if you've not seen The Descent yet, watch it before you listen to this, because he gives some real diamonds about the making of that film. It's really worth having a look before you listen to this. I think that's all you need to know. So that is it for now. I very much hope you enjoy episode 145 of Films to be Buried With. Hello and welcome to Films to be Buried With. It is me, Brett Goldstein, and I am joined today by an executive producer, an editor, a writer, a producer, a director, a hero and a legend in the <laughs> film industry. Please welcome to the show, the brilliant Mr Neil Marshall! Uh, that's uh, quite, I didn't know that I had that many credits. <laughs> quite a lot of credits. I actually had a look at your IMDb. It was exhausting. Yeah. It was an exhausting read. The longer the list, the older you are. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. 
I'm good. You're in Budapest. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, yeah, I'm going to be uh, shooting a movie here in uh, July. So I'm just doing a little bit of early scouting of locations. Can you tell us anything about the movie? I can tell you it's called The Lair and it is another horror movie. Good. Kind of, you know, more akin, I suppose, to the kind of movies I started out in. Lots of blood and guts and mayhem and chaos. Would it annoy you if we talked about The Descent for a bit? Of course not. Are you bored of talking about The Descent? Uh, no, it's something I'm incredibly proud of. So the fact that people still want to talk about it is, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm fine with that. I think The Descent is fucking excellent. I think it was one of the best cinema experiences I had. And one of the reasons I love and respect it so massively correct me if i'm wrong but that is a film made for cinema and you ha- you did no cheating with the lights is that right so it's all set in in caves underground and it is lit by what is there as in fire or torches or cameras there's never fake lights suddenly appearing to illuminate stuff is that true that was absolutely the plan that was what i worked out because i was working that out with the dp while i was writing the script so i wrote the script based around which character would have which sort of light in which scene and try and track them, yeah. but also trying to figure out as a way of visual identification of like certain characters would have different things. Like one's got a green snap light, one's got fire, one's got a video camera. So you kind of know where you were because of the light source. And we said right from the start, we said, I, you know, I, cause we went caving. I'd been caving a few times before, but I went caving with the cats. Uh, wow. pro- proper spelunking caving up in Derbyshire with the cast. And it was that thing of like, I want to be authentic to what it's like down a cave, which is that if you haven't got any light with you, it is black beyond belief. Like it is yeah. just so dark that, you know, you can stand there, your eyes are wide open. You can wave your hand right in front of your eyes and you can't see a thing. There's no light. And so many movies that are set underground in caves or whatever always have these like beautiful shafts of light with no obvious <laughs> yeah. source. And I said, we're not going to do that. And I, I also thought it would help with the claustrophobia angle of it, of like if yeah. you have a huge black screen and just this little pinpoint source of light of somebody with a match or somebody with a flare or whatever it is, that, and then see how it lights up the, the rest of the set. But all that said, we never shot any of it in a single, you know, in, in a real cave. It was all done set in Pinewood. I don't mind that bit. <laughs> It's the, uh, but it's also like it's a really hard film to replicate at home because it's hard to make your your house as dark as a cinema as well. True. Go and hide in a closet or something. Go and hide in a cupboard and watch it. Yeah, <laughs> you need to watch it under the duvet or something. But yeah. it's so impressive that film. And um, I went with my friend's Amphi, and and it was one of the great moments where she screamed, she screamed so loud. That then the whole audience screamed after she'd screamed. Like the film made her jump. She screamed and everyone <laughs> screamed at her scream. It was really great. It had people on edge. Yeah, it was. It was kind of underestimating just how many people are claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of figured about sort of two or three out of ten, and it's actually more like nine out of ten. Yeah. So yeah, we hit a nerve. The other thing I wanted to ask about it is that I always say, and I think it mostly. I don't like violence, right? I don't really like seeing violence. It of, I often find it quite upsetting. Do you know what I mean? I'm a sensitive, sensitive soul. <laughs> and sometimes I don't like seeing people like, I like, I, I don't like torture porn as a, as a genre. It's not, that's like my, it's not my cup of tea, right? However, yeah. the descent, uh, me, me, me neither. the descent, which is incredibly violent in this second towards the end. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> and I found it incredibly satisfying. And at no point was I like, 
oh, this is... And, and why do you think that that is? I've got a theory, but I want to hear yours. I think my theory might be to do that that most of the violence is perpetrated against the creatures and they're, mm-hmm. kind of, they're not people. When it's not people, you know, violence against people is always pretty harsh. Yeah. But then, you know, as soon as it becomes something else, even if it's like a vampire or a crawler or a zombie or whatever, um, it kind of takes it to that dis- one distance away from reality. So one step away from reality. I think the other thing is that um, you want those girls to start kind of hitting back yeah. by the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, you really earn it. You earn that. We're so want them to survive. And yeah. you've really invested us in them. And it's so. fucking scary. And then... It's really satisfying. It's great. We, we put them through hell and they kind of deserved a little bit of payback. Yeah. Brilliant. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Anyway, I've forgotten to tell you something and I feel like a dickhead actually because I've just been sort of praising your work and stuff. But I very stupidly, I should have said this first when you came on, on the Zoom. And I, what a plum. What an absolute <laughs> idiot. Uh, I'll just, I'll just I'll hey, can, you, can you edit around it um, no, well, I'll just say it and we'll see how we go uh, I'll say it you've died you're dead I, I know it's it's a terrible thing it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel good no how did you die I was eaten by one of my own monsters yes I'm a big fan of practical effects and I mm-hmm. think I just took it that one step too far and my own creation came back to bite me <laughs> and bite and bite and bite and bite. And, and that was it. You know, I, I was all gone. Which one was it in particular? I'd say it was probably one of the crawlers, which is like, you know, you know, underground, you know, um, mm. cannibalistic dudes. <laughs> what a way to go. Getting up, I, I, crawler bait. <laughs> Killed by your own crawler. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful death and it is not, and I have to say, it's never come up on this podcast before, so I'm a huge fan. I don't know if there's something poetic about it. It's like, you know, Frankenstein or whatever being killed by his own creation. It's like... Yeah. It's deep. But messy. Very messy. It's deep and messy. Do you worry about death, Neil Marshall? I think I've only started worrying about it since I turned 50. Right. But it's not like the actual... I don't, I don't really want to, you know, die a painful death. It's more that I still feel like I have so much to do, so I've just got to really crack on with stuff. Yeah. And it's like, you know, this is finite, our little time on Earth, and I need to stay busy. Yeah. <laughs> That's more the thing. It's, 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 you know, I've always been one of these people, like, I don't particularly like having a lie-in. Mm-hmm. If I can't, I want to get up and I want to start working, and I've always just been had a busy mind of, like, I just I have things to create, I have things yeah. to do, and I have trouble switching off, which is... The biggest problem is that it's just it's twenty four hours, you know, twenty four seven is just ideas and thoughts and things like that, and, and making some time to sleep. So that's more it's more the idea that time is going to run out at some point. Were you always this way? Were you always the way? What you've just described yeah. of twenty four seven? Were you always that? Yeah, always. Yeah. Even like when I was when I was a little little kid, whatever. I'd be, you know, I'd be waking up very early in the morning. I'd be straight straight into the Lego and start building stuff. And, you know, be building things for a few hours before breakfast, you know, it's like, and then start painting or then I start, you know, doing something else. So, yeah, it's always, it's always been that. Not necessarily being good at any of it, but just doing <laughs> it, you know. <laughs> Did you ever have, because you're one of these people that I think are very inspirational. Like, I, I, as far as I understand, you're not from a background, your family weren't in this business. Is that, you had no... No, uh, artistic 
background, I suppose. Like my my granddad was a, a an artist. My dad was a, a commercial artist as well. Brilliant okay. um, calligrapher, amazing watercolor painter, stuff like that. It's very much the you know that that side of things. So I'm the first one to to go into the media business to go into yeah. movies. Yeah. And you just sort of made it happen. You just made shit happen. Did you ever have doubt? No. It, it, I mean, the thing is, it's, it's, I've heard so many people tell the same story now. It sounds like such a cliche. But, yes, I did go and see – I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark when I was 11 years old. I saw the making of Raiders on TV. And myself and my best friend, Mike, were both equally inspired. And we got hold of his mum's Super 8 cine camera. And for the next, like, you know, eight years or whatever, our teenage years, we were making films. Trying, you know, we were acting in them, directing in them, writing them. We were doing special effects and miniatures and props and just, you know, the full thing, uh, just ourselves. And, at the, you know, and I never really looked back. It was like, okay, this is what I want to do from now on. And somehow or other, I've managed to make it work, you know? Incredible. I love it. What do you think happens when you die? Do you think there's an afterlife? Uh, food for worms, I think. I think yeah. life life goes on, but uh, you know, in in the cyclical way of like, well, we just go back to the earth, and then you know, plants and trees will sprout from us and such like. And I think that's I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big believer in a higher power unless nature is a higher power. So you know, I guess that's 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 fine. <laughs> I wouldn't mind coming back as a tree. If I could come back as a tree. That'd be good. Okay, as long as I didn't get kind of cut down. <laughs> Let me have a word. Um, well, I got good news for you. Well, bad news, if you, to be honest, I don't know. I can't really get your take on it. There is a heaven. There's a whole afterlife. You don't get Excellent. to be a tree yet. Yeah, there's a heaven. So, and it's so got... can I, can I, can I keep on like making films and working there? Yeah, actually, presumably they'd all be good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the best, <laughs> the best of the best. It'll be really there's a good. Studio. I've added that in. Excellent. Now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a studio. The best crews. Everyone's excited to work. They're all invested in whatever the project is. The, the only downside about that is that I'll, I'll never get any rest. <laughs> but you'll have unlimited energy because it's, it's heaven. That's fine. That's fine. I won't need rest. I won't need to sleep anymore. The thing is, whilst you're up there making all these films, I'm very excited about this, by the way. I'm, I'm really excited that we've now added a studio to heaven. The people there, the crew that you're working with, although you're working all the time, they chat to you between takes, between lighting setups, and they want to know about your life before and they want to know about your life through film because they're equally obsessed and the first thing they ask is what is the first film you remember seeing neil marshall the first film that i remember seeing was mary poppins um i believe that that was the first film that i saw at the cinema but it's certainly the first film i ever remember watching yeah where was this that you saw that wonderful film? I'd have to say, I, I couldn't tell you exactly. I'd have to say it was some cinema in Newcastle. There was a cinema just outside Newcastle, a place called Gosforth, where my dad grew up, called The Royalty, and they used to do a lot of like retro screenings and things, and I suspect that it might have been there because I spent a lot of time over the next 10 years watching kind of retro screenings of films there. My dad would, dad would take me to see like 2001 and things like that there. So your dad took you a lot to the cinema? You go with your dad? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's he's a movie fan as well. He loves his westerns. He's a big western fan. But yeah, I mean, we were big on like going to the cinema as a family, and uh, you know, I think that really got me into it. How are you, do you have siblings? I have an older sister. Okay, three years older. Yeah, and so you'd go, 
you'd go all together. Sometimes, sometimes they'd go stuff, and you know we'd be stuck on with the babysitter, and then, then uh, later on, of course, we'd go, you know, go on our own and things like that. But there was a lot of times where we'd all go as a family. I love it. Uh, Mary Poppins is magnificent. It is. It's a, and, and I, I watched it again recently, and I mean, I, I love the effects work. I love the the yeah. matte painting is just beautiful, whatever. And it's a lot longer than I remember it being. It's like I, I remember it being sort of like a little neat ninety minutes, but it's actually it's quite long. It's like over two hours or something. Yeah, it's really long. epic. It's, epic. It is amazing. I'm so glad you like practical effects. I got I got hooked on that. Yeah, throughout the eighties, just got hooked on practical effects for sure. I'm in a. Re- I mean, I'm sure you've discussed this. I really don't understand the CGI that like Godzilla versus Kong. I'm like, I just, I genuinely don't get it. Like, I'm like, this is a computer game. I'm watching a computer game. I'm watching two computer games fight each yeah. other. Yeah. Why? I'm not um, connected to it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I don't get it either. It's not something I particularly just two massive computer generated things, bashing yeah. each other up, seeing buildings getting smashed to bits. It's like, I've seen it. What, you know, the first time it was impressive. Now it's like, ugh. Yeah, I'm not. Um, yeah. I'm not a big fan of the that whole. <laughs> okay, good genre. Uh, what's the film that made you cry the most? Field of Dreams. Shit, yes. Again, you know, like so many of the films are from that particular period, but I think you know the first time that I saw Field of Dreams, just that ending just killed me. <laughs> and you're close with your dad, aren't you? Or you were? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, I think it's obviously like I've I've tried over the years to like show it to, to girlfriends and things like that. And they're kind of like, eh, don't get it. You know, it's a, it's a guy thing. It's clearly, it's a guy thing. Um, yeah. And it's not, it's not specifically um, like an American guy thing. I know it's about baseball or whatever, but it's about the connection with your dad mm. and, and, you know, regrets and stuff like that. My dad's still kicking around. So I've got to make sure that I don't have those regrets, but yeah, that just, you know, that bit at the end where he says, Oh my God, it's my father. was just like, <laughs> <laughs> That just floored me, and 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 you know, um, and Burt Lancaster as well. You know, yeah. it's like, you can't go back. You can't go back. Oh, yeah, just just wonderful, wonderful film. Great score, a fucking amazing film. Yeah, yeah, it's so surreal. For a job that I did, I was living in LA, and I had to do a job in Toronto. And I'd been living in the states for a few years, and I thought, well, look, I can fly to Toronto, but like, what's the fun in that? What? Why? I think I'll drive to Toronto from LA and see a little bit of this country that I'm living in, because it's the only way to see anywhere is to drive. So I drove from LA to Toronto. Um, took five days, but I I took a, a, a deviation in Iowa and went to went to the Field of Dreams because nice. it's it's still there and tourists flock there every year and and you know they still maintain it um i arrived there at like 6 a.m on a frosty uh, not a snow covered january morning and uh watched the sun come out over the field of dreams with uh, covered in snow and stuff in the house and everything it's all there and i was the only one in, around it was just absolutely magical absolutely magical. That's amazing that's yeah, truly amazing you know that book the book that field of dreams is based on Sheila's joe I mm-hmm. believe it's as mad as this. The twist that is the end of the movie isn't a twist in the book. It's like the part of the setup. It's like, do this to do that. Mad. I've not read the book. I've not really got a desire to read the book. Yeah. <laughs> not now. Yeah, um, yeah that's insane. Yeah, I, I did. I could gather the book is quite different. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Neil Master, you've made a lot of horror films. You've made a lot of excellent horror films. What's the film that scared you the most? This one, I, think I might have answered this one before. The, the, the film that 
has scared me the most that gives that that the, my memory of it being the most terrifying experience watching a movie. Uh, I was young at the time. I watched it on an old black and white portable television around at my friend's house, and it was in, in his kitchen. And me and him watched it, and it was The Legend of Boggy Creek. Go on. And it's like a, a, one of the first mockumentaries. It's a it's a, it's kind of oh. a mockumentary about Bigfoot, and it absolutely scared the shit out of me. I think I must have been I don't know eight years old, something like that. And the fact that it was a mockumentary, I didn't know it was a mockumentary at the time. I thought it was a full-on documentary about Bigfoot. So I took it very, very literally. And walking home that night was you know, a nervous experience. And the thing is, I've never watched the film since. Because by all accounts, it's, it's not a great movie. Right. And I kind of, I, I like clinging on to that memory that it was a scary film. Because if I watch it now, it might, it might disappoint me. Yeah. So I'm happy to not watch it again and just remember that experience, that it, was, that it just scared the living daylights out of me. You you love horror films, right? That's yeah. what's yeah. your theory on why that is? As in, some people just hate them and don't want nothing to do with them. I love them. You love them. What's what is it? Um, I think it's exactly the same principle that some people don't like roller coasters. You know, it's it's a controlled adrenaline rush. It's trying to recapture something from our archaic Stone Age past of you know, living in fear or being chased by lions or whatever the hell it is that, that, you know, that got our adrenaline pumping in life. And most of us don't have that in life anymore. We wake up, we go to work, we go to the shops, we go to restaurants or whatever. We don't live in fear of much. So things like roller coasters and horror movies, horror movies provide us with that, a little, a little adrenaline rush based on fear, based on the possibility that something terrible might happen to us. But it's a safety net. You know, at the end of the day, we know we're going to get off the roller coaster or we're going to walk out of the cinema and everything's going to be OK. So it's it's a it's a little bit of a distraction, but it's it's a safe distraction. Safe distraction. Um, and I think that's I think that's the only kind of comparison I, I can think of that makes sense. But it's any any kind of adrenaline rush. I don't think it's like parachute jumping because there's always a chance that your parachute might not open. <laughs> yeah. But with a horror movie, you are, you know, the credits are going to roll inevitably yeah. and, you know, you're going to walk out and it's going to be OK. Do horror films still affect you now you make them and know so much of the nuts and bolts of it? Not as much. I think you get you get to a point where it's oversaturation. I've watched so many that, that it, it takes a lot for one to really scare me. Um, it, they can make me jump, like, and, but more so in like a theatrical experience when it's bigger and louder and darker and within the audience. You know, I, I admit to jumping at a few things, but on the whole, no. But weirdly, the, the the one one film that got me the most is another mockumentary recently. Oh fucking! Yeah, of course, I'm gonna say and cut. Sorry, I've forgotten <laughs> what the freaking title is. Oh, Lake Mungo. It's Lake Mungo. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna tell you to watch that if you hadn't seen it. Okay, right. Yes, sorry. So, yeah, the movie, the most recent movie that scared the shit out of me was Lake Mungo. Um, Incredible film, and I absolutely love it. I just yeah. it's so well done. And the payoff, the what it builds up to, that 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 payoff at the end just absolutely floored me. And yeah, I got in touch with the director in Australia, and it's like, no I wanna, way. tell me like, everything. Well, I just want to know like what what he's doing next. I want him to do some more yeah. stuff, and I don't think he has. But yeah, I just thought he did such a great job with that film. Yeah, he's vanished, the, right? What did he say to he you? Has. Has he, yeah, what's he no, doing? This was a few years ago now, so oh. I haven't been in touch since. But you know, fingers crossed. Touch wood, he'll you know come out of the woodwork and do something else because it's like it was so accomplished as a as a as feature yeah. and I loved all the twists and turns. I just didn't see coming at all. It's great, love it. It's entirely of all the kind of mockumentaries as well. I think it's the most believable. It's like yeah. 
hundred percent believe the, the, performances, the performances yeah. are great. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, a good fucking one. great film. Good shout. What's the film that people don't really like? It's not critically acclaimed, but you love it unashamedly. For me, that's going to be Waterworld. <laughs> I like Waterworld. <laughs> I think, I know it get, there's a lot of people hate on it, and obviously, like reviews and all this kind of stuff. But I just love it. I just like unashamedly like enjoy that movie. I think it's daft, and it's it's the production design and the the action sequences are great. I kind of like that it's one of the last sort of movies pre CG that yeah. a lot of it was done practically. That that set that they built. I mean, and it's such a lunatic thing. It was kind of like a a, a more modern version of Apocalypse Now, and just how daft they were to go out in the middle of the ocean and build that set uh, and there's moments like when the i think it's the aircraft appears and it's like dragging along guys on water skis and things like that and you're kind of thinking all you need now is ride of the valkyries playing over this is perfect <laughs> um but yeah i love it i love what world i think it's it's wonderfully daft it is I, I like anything that's a bit fucking mad and it's got this sense of like even the fact that he has gills, I love that he has gills. Yeah, I mean it's all over the shop, but it's good. I'm a, fun. Yeah, I mean I, I, I love that whole post-apocalyptic thing anyway yeah. with Mad Max and all that lot. So it just fit into that world um, with the vehicles and the creation. He has the best like boat ever. Yeah, um, it's a very cool boat. Yeah, it's just it's it's just a guilty pleasure for sure. Respect. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. What is a film that you used to love, but you've seen it recently and you do not like it anymore, for whatever reason that might be? I don't know that I ever 100% loved it because it came out the same year. It was kind of in direct competition with um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And I'm a, and I'm a, a full-on indie nut. It's Tim Burton's Batman. <gasps> oh, God. And I Go watched on. it again recently and I thought it was terrible. Really? Like, it seems like so much of the energy of that movie and the focus of that movie has been put on Jack Nicholson that there's nothing like the, the Batman is like a, he's a side character. He's like non-existent and you don't really get to understand him or anything like that, but not since, not when you compare it to the things that have come since and, and, mm. and Nolan's Batman's that really are explorations of that character and that psyche. It's, it's, and, and even the next one, I mean, Batman returns is brilliant, brilliant, but the first one, I just find it a big, empty shell of a movie it's like you know great sets but sorry this is i know this is sacrilege but it's it's like sacrilege but is it i don't know um am i the only one out there but yeah i just i just was really disappointed in it watching it yeah. watching it again interesting so, yeah. well, as long as you like batman returns i'm fine well no, i love that and i love you know the majority of tim burton's movies but just yeah. that one just left me cold 
And it, and it really was because that I didn't feel he explored the Batman character very much. Mm. Listen, Last Crusade is a better film. Sure, I can agree with that. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. But I thought I kind of thought it was then as well. So yeah. <laughs> Although in in defense of Tim Burton's Batman, it was the first really of these big comic book superhero movie type things that was trying to do something. And I think I haven't watched it in a long time, but my memory of it is he's really trying to make something like a film noir, like it almost seems black and white. And he also is being told he's got to put like a print soundtrack in the middle of it. Like it feels like <laughs> it feels like he's being made to do some stuff. He's trying to do something yes. else. Yeah, true. And true. he half achieves it. And Michael Keaton's great. Well, Michael That's Keaton is, is great, but he's underserved by that script, I think. Fair, fair, fair. What is the film that means the most to you? Not necessarily the film's any good, but because the experience you had around seeing it, that will always make it special to you. Well, it's back to horror again. And it's, I don't know, as I say, it's the, it's the experience that means the most to me. It was an incredible experience. The film itself is one of my favourites. Uh, it's an American werewolf in London. But the experience the was seeing it, and it's, it was a, um, just, I think it was when the Blu-ray came out, and they showed it at Fright Fest in the Empire Leicester Square. And I got to sit next to John Landis during the movie. And as part of the experience, he also brought along the making of Thriller and screened that before uh, American Werewolf. And basically throughout the entire film, he gave a live commentary to both things to anyone who was listening in his immediate vicinity. And so, you know, and and... When you're watching uh, American Werewolf in London and suddenly like John Landis like leans in close and like says, oh, that was filmed just outside these doors or, you know, so we were, so we were watching in the Empire Leicester Square, literally a hundred yards away from Piccadilly Circus where the finale's filmed. Just the, the whole thing of like, holy shit, John Landis is sitting next to us, giving us a live commentary of American Werewolf in London and we're sitting in London and near Piccadilly Circus was like, that's awesome. <laughs> that is cool. Isn't <laughs> that's that? suddenly like, ah, uh, this is why I'm doing what I do. <laughs> Yeah. Fantastic That's stuff. That's fucking great. That was cool. Good good answer. Neil Marshall, what is the film that you relate to the most? Well, I mean, if you talk about now, I'm not sure. <laughs> it might be like some midlife crisis movie or something like that. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what that would be. You know, City Slickers or something like that. Uh, but, but for a long, long time, I'd say the film that I relate to the most was Breakfast Club. Really? Yeah. Who were you in The Breakfast Club or were you everyone? I was Brian. I was I was the obsessive nerd. The the yeah. I think is I that was Anthony Michael Hook? Yeah, you yeah. were the one his dad wanted him to get all the A's or something. I think his dad wants him to get all the A's, but he's obsessed about making this thing, this lamp. I think it was, it's an elephant, and if you pull the, the trunk, the the light comes on. Something I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like he's obsessed with this thing of like making it work. And I thought, yeah, that's me. That's that's me trying to build something or whatever trying to you know trying to make a film work <laughs> it's like yeah yeah so i think i think that really kind of connected me not that i was gonna like shoot myself with a flare gun or anything like that like ryan was gonna do but yeah the just the, the obsessive nerdiness of that character like really struck a chord especially seeing it in the 80s when i was a, a nerdy teenager so i was like wow there's somebody else out there like me um, <laughs> that's nice to hear can I ask you something? You're 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 clearly very, always been into the craft of it, the making the stuff, the building the stuff. How do you find? I I've never worked with you. I have no idea what you're like on set in terms of 
are you like a shouty person are you calm are you a like what kind how are you with all the people the people management side of directing if i may ask well i i, I like to think that i'm i'm good with the people as in i love the crew i think i i'm very much a part of the idea that every single member of the crew is a cog in a big machine and there is no it cannot work without all the cogs so every single person be it a runner or a producer or whatever is as important as anybody else and should be treated with equal respect so i very much that i'm not a shouter i'm not a screamer i don't see any point in that I always figure that a crew will work harder for you and do longer hours and do all the things that are difficult if they want to, not because they feel they have to. And so barking and screaming at people does not achieve that. You want that sense of camaraderie on set that everybody's actually working to the same purpose. So sharing thoughts, sharing your feelings about the movie is really important to get people on board and sharing your passion for it, sharing your love of it. And all of that's about just like having a great time on set because I feel a, I'm incredibly lucky to do what I do. And it's hard enough work. We do stupid hours and crazy things in weird places. Um, it's hard enough without having people shouting and screaming. Just to be there and do it is is, is fantastic, and I love it. So I, I think being on set is like one of my favorite places ever. And I, and I want to make everybody else feel the same way, that it should be a joy to come to work and just do something ridiculous every day. That's, that's kind of the way I do it. I'm so glad I asked that question because that is a wonderful answer. And I'm <laughs> glad that you said it. What is, Neil Marshall, what's the sexiest film you've ever seen? Well, for a long time, I thought it was Battle Beyond the Stars. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, I get it. You know, you've got, you've got an entire generation who, Princess Leia, Star mm. Wars, all you know, dressed in white, the boobs taped down or whatever it was that she had to do, that Lucas was very keen to sort of desexualize her for whatever reason, because he obviously had a change of heart by Return of the Jedi. But before Return of the Jedi came along, there was Sybil Danning in Battle Beyond the Stars. And for it, for, for you know, a young teenage boy, this was this was something quite unusual. And, <laughs> and do you yeah. think that was that must have been it? That was a real conscious decision from Battle Beyond the Stars. We're like, well, we'll do Princess Oh, that Leia, was absolutely. That's like, we're not going to We're going to do the anti-Princess Leia. Yeah. This is going to be like, you know, everything out for the, for the universe to see. <laughs> Crazy. Without, without resorting to cheap nudity you know you become more discerning as you grow older but uh, you know for a teenage kid was like yeah that's sexy that's hot she's hot (laughs) that's great now neil master there's a subcategory to this question troubling boners worrying why don'ts what film did you find arousing that you thought maybe you shouldn't have it's funny because obviously i listened to edgar's podcast of this as well and like he, he he said what is the obvious answer that very few filmmakers will put something in a film and not, you know, like accidentally making something sexy is, mm-hmm. is quite, you know, they, they, want, they want something to be sexy or they don't. But then sometimes you get something that's randomly sexy in an unexpected place. But I can't think that there's anything like really surreal or odd that, that, that comes to mind. It is something that involves like beautiful women but it was in an unexpected place would be, and it's kind of, it's another dodgy, it's another, I say dodgy, it's another sci-fi film from the 80s, was the opening credits of the theatrical version of Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Go on, I don't know about that. Well, the TV show was, mm. you know, very sanitized or whatever, but in the opening credits of the American version, uh, which was screened theatrically, they had all these like, what was it, Erin Gray, who was um, Wilma Deering, whatever, and all these other women, from the cast, like flouncing around in skin tight suits and like this soft undergo. It looks, looks like, it's like a Tony Scott video. 
right. uh, pouting at the camera and stuff like that, which was unexpected when I went to see Buck Rogers. It was like, oh, hello. Um, <laughs> was, that yeah. was unprepared by now. But, it, but, but at the end of the day, it's like, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not worried about it because it was, it was like, you know, hot women looking hot. So you're healthy. You've got a healthy brain. Nothing to worry about. Okay. Okay. I couldn't think of anything that was like, that worried me. <laughs> That's good. That's good. There's no judgment here. Fine. I'm curious to know what other answers you've had on that one. Like, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a tricky. Most people, I always think uh, Nish Nish Kumar did the best answer where I was like, yes, that's exactly like that was a very honest answer, which was the scene in Sorry to Bother You where um, Tessa Thompson is um, doing a kind of weird art show where she's on stage, but she's kind of being pelted with food and it's sort of. She, the stuff is being thrown at her and he was like i'm sorry <laughs> i loved it well uh, maybe maybe it's a food fetish so. yeah exactly what's uh objectively objectively the greatest film of all time since i can't say raiders of the lost ark i'm gonna say lawrence of arabia nice you know as far as like over four hour films go yeah. you know lawrence is a film that i can watch any day of the week and never get bored it's also like it's like the biggest most personal movie i can think of like this such to tell such an intimate portrait of a character on such an mm. epic canvas there's nothing else like it i don't think yeah and i just i just love every every moment of it every part of it it's just it's an amazing film it really is good i i you know when i i saw it at the secret cinema secret cinema did it did you oh, wow. were you there for that? I've not I've not been to one of them. I need to go to one of them. It was it was actually the first time I'd seen it as well. And it was like, you know, this whole fucking mad thing or whatever. And then you ended up in this huge place where they had where it looked like the desert and you kind of lay on pillows and then they just had this <laughs> massive kind of wow. warehouse screening of Lawrence Arabia. And it was pretty fucking that's, special. That's actually. great. I, I yeah. you know, I've seen it projected on seventy mil and things like that and chased down whenever it does get projected was it is yeah. worth it's worth seeing on the big screen absolutely you're right it's not as it i think it took me years to watch it because it's the sort of film that looks like it'll be boring <laughs> like it looks like oh this is gonna be hard well, work but and, that, it's so and that's good. the thing it is slow it's long and it's slow but it's never boring it's mm. it, there's always something to absorb you something amazing to watch or something like that. so yeah. I, I don't know i just yeah i can't it's a great film i love it enough uh, to make also, if your answer is Raiders of the Lost Ark, but you feel like you can't say it because lots of people have said it, you can you can say it. I'll let you have it. <laughs> well, only because that is the movie that made me want to make movies. Yeah. It's the movie that is, I still, it's still number one on my list of greatest movies as far as I'm concerned. It just it just ticks every box for me. I just love it. It's, it's and it's got Lawrence yeah. of Arabia vibes. It has. I mean, direct references certainly, to it. Certainly yeah. watched that a few times beforehand. <laughs> yeah. What's the film that you could or have watched the most over and over again? That isn't Raiders of the Lost Ark. That isn't, mm -hmm. The thing is, there's like there's a holy trinity for me of, of Raiders, Jaws and Close Encounters, which is like, really? I, I think is like Spielberg's, you know, the, yeah. the peak. And I know people want to throw E.T. in there and all other things as well. But like for, the, for me, those three just boom. That was just, that's just amazing. And I've watched them more times than I can count. But fil films that I could watch again and again and again, to be honest, I, I tell you what, I, I, I love any of the most recent, like from number three onwards, but definitely four, five, and six of the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, yeah. I think they are 
almost flawless, uh, brilliantly executed, incredibly entertaining, exciting, funny. They just tick all the boxes, and and yeah. I will I can watch them again and again and again. Yeah, I just think they've done. They just it's it's like it's as a franchise, it just seems to get better and better and better. Yeah, and you can't knock really? that. You can't. I love them. What was I going to say to you about oh Close Encounters? Maybe you know all of this, but I'm going to tell you Close Encounters. And for those who haven't seen it. This is a spoiler, so stop listening or skip forward <laughs> five minutes. You should see it. It's amazing. Richard Dreyfus leaves his family to go on the spaceship. Yes. Which I, I always thought, for me, is one of the reasons I think that film is amazing because it's complicated because he does abandon his family, goes mad, and, and he, he follows his obsession in it right to the end, but sacrifices his family who don't seem bad people. You know, it's like, it's really complicated and interesting. Steven Spielberg has subsequently said, I wouldn't make that now. I'd never have him leaving his family. Now I have kids. I, I couldn't have made Close Encounters because I couldn't have him leaving his family. And then yeah. I heard Richard Dreyfus on an interview. Someone put that to him, said Steven Spielberg says he shouldn't have left his family. And Richard Dreyfus said, well, Steven Spielberg's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Get him on the phone because, of course, he has to leave his family. He has to go to his thing. And I find that so interesting that he's changed his mind on this. And, and I, I get it. I mean, I get that. He must have had kids and thought, I could never abandon my children or whatever. I can't even get in that headspace. But I think that's what's so interesting about that film. It's so complicated. It isn't just a straightforward thing. I think that's why that film is like a product. You know, that film is right on the barrier between, you know, the films of the 80s and the films of the 70s. And so much Mm. of that film is actually a product of the 70s and the way that, you know, it's Watergate and things like that, which makes it more kind of complex and more political and more interesting. That if yeah. it just if that film had been made five, six, seven years later, it would have been a very different thing. And probably more kind of fun and, and easygoing and, and not and not challenging. But that's what I love about it is the fact that it is challenging. And if he did make it now and he didn't get on the spaceship then it would be a crushing disappointment. I never assumed that he was gonna go away forever. So the other people that were on the spaceship came back. People go on spaceships now, you know, they go up in space and they come back. They're not abandoning their families. So I, 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 idea. So you think he comes back and makes it up to his family? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, you know, he gets it out of his system. He comes back and he heals whatever he's healing with his family. Love that. But to change it and have him just kind of go, mm-hmm. I can go on the spaceship or I can go home. Yeah. Uh, oh, I go home. Like, well, that's, why, why did I go through that whole journey with you? <laughs> We've got to get Dreyfus on the phone and tell him, listen, you get to come, you can come back in a couple of years, yeah. make it up with your family, it'll be fine. Yeah, Dreyfus' return. Yeah. That's fascinating. Oh, yeah, I didn't, I'd forgotten that people come back, yeah. Another Close Encounters story is on. On, my, on another road trip that I did, this time to Canada, mm-hmm. uh, from LA to Canada. I went on a very, very wide detour into Wyoming and stopped by Devil's Tower. <sighs> And it was a religious experience. It was surreal. It was like coming over a hilltop and seeing Devil's Tower in reality was was so surreal and just amazing. Just amazing. This is great. You're living (laughs) your best life. Uh, We don't like to be negative, so we'll do it fairly quick. What's the worst film you've ever seen? I've seen so many terrible movies <laughs> and I've seen so many, I mean, there's, but there's, there's, there's terrible movies that know they're terrible or, or that, that, that they were made with such heart and soul that you love them mm-hmm. and, and they're great for, for different reasons. And you can't fault them for that because it's like, okay, they didn't come out as maybe they were intended, but you could, you could feel the passion that went into them regardless. 
and I love them for that and enjoy them for that on a different level maybe than they were intended, but whatever, that's fine. But then there's films that are just bad for other reasons. And I'm going to be controversial here and say that I think one of the worst films I've seen in a long time was Skyfall. Interesting. Tell me everything. Well, I think it's one of the most sexist Bond films, especially as far as the Money Penny character is concerned. Of like, you know, let's put a woman in the field. Oh, she's terrible at it. She shoots Bond. She lets the bad guy get away because she's already shot Bond on the train, and she could have shot the bad guy off the train. She had a clear shot, but now she just watches him. She just watches him go away. That annoyed the hell out of me. Uh, by the end of the film, she's taken out of field service and reduced to being a secretary because that's all she's good for. And I just thought. God, this is like yeah. unbelievably backwards. Yeah, <laughs> and Judy Judy Dench gets killed, and then Ray Fiennes takes over. Like back to back to men in charge. Thank you. Yeah. As it, so it just yeah. seems like such a backward step. And and there's also like lots of stuff within the plot of that just makes absolutely no sense at all. You know, Javier Bardem as, as the undercover operative in China. Like he's not exactly going to blend in, is he? <laughs> 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 uh, and then. Uh, you know, and then the, the chase through the, the, the underground with the ridiculously convenient underground train that crashes through the roof, which is at rush hour, but there's absolutely nobody on it. Just like so many things like that, that just like not up to the quality of like, a Casino Royale, which is an amazing Bond film. Yeah. And certainly not up to the quality of the Mission Possible movies. And I just thought it kind of let the side down a bit. It certainly has some good points in it, like Roger Deakins' photography is beautiful. But I just, especially as far as the money thing, money penny thing, was just just yeah. made me angry. <laughs> yeah, it's mad. You're right. You're right. Fuck Skyfall. <laughs> I want to ask you about the film that made you laugh the most, but I'm also interested in how you feel about comedy. You know it, the connection between comedy and horror and how they both have a certain way of eliciting a response. How do you feel about comedy? I think comedy is harder than horror. The comedy, comedy is very, very 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 complex there's uh, horror can be complex absolutely but there, there's kind of a cheap well actually no there's cheap ways to comedy as well but they just they just annoy me the, the cheap mm-hmm. way of horror is to do the jump scare whereas yeah. the cheap way of comedy is to have somebody fall over which seems right. to be like the staple of a lot of american comedy films is that the big joke is that people just falling over or bump into st- you know slapstick basic slapstick yeah. okay the, the peak of slapstick was Lauren Hardy, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, that period. And mm-hmm. it's never got better than that. So I, I, I go for more the comedy that I like. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to completely um, overturn what I've just said because I was just thinking the thing that one of the things that makes me laugh is Peter yeah. Sellers in The Return of the Pink Panther when he falls over. <laughs> oh but it's the, way, it's the way that he falls over. But that's not what, I mean, that's not the best thing yeah. in the entire movie. It's just a very funny moment. Life of Brian, I think, is probably the film that just every time just, Every single scene just destroys me, specifically the scene in which the characters are trying not to laugh, you know, because Dickus, that scene, to put an audience through that when the characters are trying not to laugh and the whole point is trying to laugh is one of the most hilarious and clever scenes of all time. And I love that. I absolutely love it. But I do like Peter Sellers. I do like the Pink Panther, but... I think Life of Brian takes takes the biscuit for me for the the most consistently funny film. It's an amazing film. I think your your thing about it's how Peter Sellers, you know, everything can be done classy as fuck. If well, I may yeah, say, fa- f- yeah, falling over can be very funny in the right hands. Yeah, and it can be <laughs> elevated. You, I think there's a jump scare in the descent that is high art that is incredible, like properly fucking hell, and is in no way cheap. It's fully earned, and you've built this. Is that, is that the uh, the the infrared thing? 
Yeah. That we yeah, we worked hard at that. We did yeah. I think I think with that we did about seven or eight takes. Well, one of the things that we did with that was first of all, just to go back and talk about this and sorry, was I kept the creatures hidden from the cast. Oh wow. They weren't allowed to see any drawings, any design things, any anything about the creatures. They weren't even wow. allowed to meet they weren't allowed to meet the actors who were playing the creatures. And because we filmed it in story order for the most part. We got through. We got to that point in the story where they were going to meet the creatures for the first time, and we set up that shot, which was the first time they encountered the creatures, um, and it, cause it takes place in the dark. So we kind of set it up in the dark, and we we brought the creature on stage for the first time in the dark and put him into the scene and let it run and let see what happened. But the first take was that they turned on and saw him, and they all ran screaming for the exit. <laughs> So that was kind of unusable by that, by this point. And, and on the first few takes as well, I had him, he was kind of reaching for one of them. Oh, he was like re- reaching out to touch one of them. Yeah. We tried that and I was like, eh, it's okay. What if you're just standing there? Well, like, what if you're just kind of standing there with like your head slightly locked on one side and just kind of listening to them and just being there like some like weird pervert in the background. So that's what we did. And that's the one that's in the movie. And it's just like, for some reason, just the fact that he's not doing anything, he's just kind of standing there yeah. makes it all the more disturbing and shocking. And that's... then of course you put a big loud noise on it and shriek and everybody screams and, you know, the audience goes through the roof every time. That's a fuck. That's, that's a, that's giving me a buzz, that story. I love that. That's fucking great. I love that. You hit them you hit them from the actors. Fuck, yeah. that's cool. That was a fun thing to try. You know, it was yeah. just like, oh, let's just not let them see them. Don't get them comfortable. When you finally got the got the take you were happy with, were you like, This is the creature. Hello, how are you doing? Nice to meet you. Did everyone then chat? Yeah, by that by, yeah, kind of by that point, I think afterwards they all kind of like hung out, whatever. Because right. there's because there's another scene, the little the little girl in the mm. film uh, is my niece who was only like six at the time. And there had to be a scene where she was going to be in the same shot as the, as the creature. So I was like, Oh, how am I going to, I don't want to give her nightmares, but how are we going to do this? But it was literally like, okay, the easiest way to do this is be as matter of fact as possible. Just walk her up to the guy and say, hi. And we came up to the place and the creature, <laughs> creature who's uh, Craig Conway, like turned around in full makeup. and was just like, Oh, hello. How do you do? <laughs> <laughs> so surreal. So surreal. Uh. <laughs> love that love that a lot neil marshall i've enjoyed this so much you've been brilliant and i really appreciate it however when you were making the descent we weren't back in time and uh you'd made these uh creatures and um you were preparing what happened was you'd hidden them from the other actors and you'd hidden them from everyone and you were in the dark and you went hey guys you got one of the creatures you said hey come here come on to set <laughs> And it was dark, so no one could see you. Come on, because I'm going to surprise the other actors. Come on. And you were like giggling. You were all excited about it. It's going to be so great. Yeah, it was. And it was going to be so great. And the creature that you had created, you'd done the makeup, you'd built the thing, everything. You couldn't see them very well. You were holding their hand. Come with me, come with me. And then they just suddenly bit you and you went whoa hey hey what's yeah, going on there wait script. that wasn't the script and i'm not we haven't started shooting yet they bit you again you were like hey hey hang on a second and then he bit you and bit you and bit you and then you were like oh my god and you were screaming on the floor the the rest of the cast the crew they could hear all this but they were like oh neil's practicing something exactly he's just rehearsing and he's rehearsing yeah. something just let him do his thing and then you were like no help and they were like yeah help is in the script someone does say that he's just running lines and 
this creature just tore you apart, tore you apart to bits. And then you were dead. And then the first AD was like checking his watch and like, oh, I don't like to push things along, but we are running behind now. We haven't seen Neil for a while. And anyone goes, eyes on Neil, eyes on Neil, any eyes on Neil? No one's got eyes on Neil. They go, we'll just put the lights on just for a second and see if we can find Neil. They turn on the lights. Everyone fucking screams to high heaven. Yes. Because you are an absolute fucking mess on the floor. Yeah. And one of the creatures is still eating a bone of yours and he looks up at everyone and everyone goes, what have you done? And he goes, sorry. Yeah, just got a bit, bit method there. Yeah, got a bit <laughs> carried away. And the other actors have never seen these creatures. They all scream. Everyone runs out. Everyone leaves the set. Terrified. I come in. I'm, I'm just wondering about Pinewood. You know what I'm like? Got a coffin with me. You know how I, you know how I do. And I'm um, walking around. I see you. Absolute state on the floor. Oh, God. What a shame. I really wanted to finish this film, I thought. Anyway, come over. Collect the pieces of you that are available. Scoop, scoop me up. Scoop up what I can, but but there's bits of cave stuck to you, fake cave, all sorts of stuff congealed yeah, with the blood. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, mess. a real mess. Really have to peel you up, smash you up, get you in this coffin. But there's more of you than I was expecting. Coffin is absolutely rammed. There is only room in this coffin for me to slip one DVD in the side for you to take to the other side. And on the other side, it's movie night every night. What film are you taking to show everyone on movie night when it's your night, Neil Marshall? Go. I'm going to take uh, Big Trouble in Little China. What a twist! And, and not only for the film, you know, because it's more than just a film. I was thinking like what has also the best extras on it as well, so you can get multiple, like more more use out of it. And nice. uh, Big Trouble in Little China has one of the best commentaries of all time on it, with really? Kurt, Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. And Kurt Russell is basically just kind of laughing his ass off the whole way. Oh, great. And it's very entertaining and amusing and it just makes you feel good so i think i, I think that would be a good thing because not only the film itself is awesome but you get the commentary and the making of and all this extra stuff to boot that is a really well argued answer and you can have it uh neil marshall i love this is there anything you would like to tell people to look out for to listen to to watch coming up for you yeah the new movie the reckoning um mm-hmm. is coming out on april 16th I guess it's on video on demand and Blu-ray at the same time, I think. Okay. If not, certainly on uh, iTunes and Amazon and things like that. So on, on VOD. So, yeah, that came out in the US in February. And we were hoping beyond hope that cinemas would be open again by April. It seems that's not the case, sadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not going to get the theatrical release we were hoping for. But still, it's um, it's worth checking out. I will watch it with the lights out at least. That's the least I can do. Yeah. Phones off, lights out. And I've got another kind of scrawny, slightly slimy creature in there as well, which is, uh, <gasps> you know, it's cool. Not not another crawler, but something else. Yes. Okay, very exciting. All right, that's April 16th. Well, this will, have, this will be coming out later, so that means watch The Reckoning. It's already out. If you haven't already, yeah, get it watched. Neil Marshall, what, what a treat. Thank you so much for doing this. I hope you have a lovely day. Good luck in Budapest. <laughs> and uh, Thank you. Take it easy on the other side. Oh, it's been a blast. It's been a blast. Thanks, man. <laughs> Cheers. So that was episode 145. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Brett Goldstein for the extra 15 minutes of chat, secrets and video with Neil. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and instead of writing about the show, write about the film that means the most to you and why that is. 
I do like reading it and it also helps numbers and it means Maureen can keep drinking craft beer or whatever it is she's into this week. Thank you so much to Neil for doing the show. Thanks to Scroobius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks to Buddy Peace for producing it so brilliantly. Thanks to Acast for hosting it. Thanks to Adam Richardson for the graphics and Lisa Latham for the photography. Come and join me next week for another excellent guest. Who will it be? I won't tell you. You'll have to find out. So that is it for now. I hope everyone is well. In the meantime, have a lovely week and please, now more than ever, be excellent to each other. Sometimes I dream of becoming an actor. Have you ever dreamt of becoming an actor? Maureen, what is it you think I'd do for a living? Never mind. Sounds like you need the New York Film Academy. NIFA offers workshops, BFA and MFA degrees and summer camps in filmmaking, acting, journalism and more. Online and on campuses across the globe. To make films alongside industry professionals, explore more at nyfa.edu. Thanks, Brett. Thank you, Maureen. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.